You're listening to Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am wonderful. What can I help you with? So just a little bit of background about me. My name is Madison. I'm from St. John's University, and I'm a junior biomed student. So I'm also an Army ROTC. So I had a couple questions about ROTC and the HPSP scholarship. Yeah. So I'm applying this summer, but I'm going to advance camp. So I want to know if I delay my application until July after advanced camp is over. Will that be a better move or should I try to get it done as soon as possible and submit before I go to camp? So there are two potential outcomes here, right? The first outcome is when first of all, when is when is the camp? So it starts on June fifth. June fifth, okay. And goes until July the ninth. July the ninth. So basically a month starting that first week ish of June. Okay. So two two potential theoretical paths here is you are working on your application and we're talking about this cycle or next cycle? This cycle. Okay, this cycle. So in basically three (laughs) weeks you're leaving, um, you potentially have your application done before you go. What does that look like? So my application is done. My primary is completely done. I'm getting it edited right now by some med school students. So okay. that's looking good. But my MCAT, my MCAT, I take in two weeks. Okay. So I will have to submit it while I'm at camp to the other schools. That's the only other issue. Why is that an issue? Because people have recommended to me that I only submit to one school on AMCAS now. Mm-hmm. And once I get my MCAT score, go back and submit to the other schools. Yep. And, and what is your concern there? So while I'm at camp, they may not give me access to my laptop or Wi-Fi. Okay. So I don't know how I would submit it now. Like it's up in the air about how I would be able to submit that to the other schools. Okay. But your application would have been submitted. Yes. Right? So if you're taking the MCAT in two weeks, so I'm assuming June 30th is your date, or not May, May 30th or end of May? Yes. Yeah. So you're not getting your score back until end of June, which is basically a week or so before you come home. Right? So if you get your score back and you... Mm-hmm. First of all, if you don't have access to your your laptop, you're not going to know what your score is, so you can't do anything anyway. Yes. But at least your application is is in and verified at one school and you don't have anything to worry about. You come back from camp, you submit to the other schools and you rock and roll from there. Okay. There there if your primary is basically done there is zero reason for you to wait to submit your application. So I wholeheartedly agree apply to that one school. Don't make it a throwaway school that some people suggest like apply to a school that you want to go to and 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 get your application in to be verified. And yes, you will only be in at one school for a week or so after you get your MCAT score back but at least you're in and verified and ready to go. 
Definitely. And I wanted to do the HPSP scholarship, but I hear mixed things about the specialty matching because I wanted to do dermatology and I know it's a specialty on there, but the likelihood of me getting that or like diagnostic radiology or something is looking very slim. So I want to know if I commit to it now, (laughs) will it be worth it? Uh, Yeah, and that's, that's the ultimate question, right? You're doing ROTC, if you also do HPSP, your payback period is huge. It is. Right? It's like 11 years or something. <laughs> Off the top of my head, that's that's the number I remember. I don't know if that's exactly right, but I, I had a friend who also was ROTC and HPSP, and that payback is is a lot. And so there are, again, there's multiple options here you don't apply to medical school, you go and you serve as, uh, are, what uh, ROTC are you in? What branch? So army. So if you go and do your just army service and you serve for however long you owe them and then you come out and you apply to medical school, then you don't have anything over your head. Or if they allow you, first of all, they have to allow you to do HPSP, right? Is that, have you been given permission yet for that? So my packet starts in August okay. for education delay, but it makes the chances a lot better if I have like an acceptance from a school. Yeah. So technically HPSP is is always like once you get accepted, then you can apply for HPSP. That's historically how I remember it. So the uh, the path for you, just like even a non-ROTC person, is you go to HPSP through Army, Navy, Air Force, um, uh, the VA also has an HPSP program now, which is kind of cool. The process is you go to medical school, they pay for it, and then you apply to the military match. And if you are set on something like dermatology, you have to go look. Have, have you looked at what the the joint services boards have said in terms of army dermatologists over the last several years? Is it it's like one low. spot, two spot? <laughs> Especially radiology, there were like one or two spots at like each location. Yeah. Yeah. Well, each location is better than one or two, period, right? The Army has several training hospitals, which is is helpful. But it is going to be a lot less than the civilian world. But you're also competing against a lot fewer people, Right. So you have to weigh that into account as well. And so the question ultimately is, are you okay with going through this whole process, being dead set on dermatology, being dead set on radiology, whatever it is, potentially you get to knowing, first of all, knowing that 75% of students change their mind, right? They have one idea going into med school. They come out thinking, oh, never mind. (laughs) I'm going to do something else. So first of all, knowing that. But are you okay with going through this process and the army at the end of the day saying, I know you wanted dermatology, but you can't do that. We're going to send you the GMO route and you're going to be a um, a battalion surgeon, I think is what they're called, right? Not Not a flight surgeon, but a battalion surgeon. Are you okay with that? to do for a year or two. And during that time, like you're reapplying and reapplying and reapplying. And finally three or four years in, they're like, okay, you can go to dermatology residency now. Potentially. Yes. I think I would be okay with it. 
And this question segues into my activity section. Mm -hmm. So for ROTC, I have over like 5,000, 6,000 hours for it, but I still have had time to like get other activities. Do you think that they're going to take that into consideration when they look, look through my activities that I have so much time committed to one thing? No, I mean, they, they understand the commitment for ROTC. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be concerned about it. They're not going to look at your application and go, oh, you really want to be an army soldier. Like, you don't want to go to medical school. They're not going to look at it that way. They understand the, the time commitment for ROTC. And I've also been trying to, like, gauge, like, the strength of my activities when I ask, like, people that review my application. Do you have any, like, pointers for, like, how strong your activity section can be? Because I've looked at certain schools and they'll say... I want you to be the best at everything that you've done. Like, what does that mean? I don't know. It's like, I want you to excel at everything that you put on your activity section. I don't know how to gauge that. Yeah. Again, I'm asking you, what does that mean? Some level of success in each of, but then that's like, optional or not optional but like it's not objective it's very subjective exactly again what is what does that mean like i was a nurse well did you excel at nursing like i don't know my patients didn't die i like like i did habitat for humanity did you excel at that like what does that mean so schools that have that kind of stuff it's just like completely random like what does that mean i would i would call them out (laughs) What, what school was that I think it was either University of South Florida or University of Florida. Mm. One of- Probably not the Gators. They wouldn't do something so silly like that. Um, okay. Yeah. So to me, that's like, I don't, I don't know what that means. When I look at activities, I look at recency. I look at consistency. I look at the impact that you've made, right? So maybe that's what they're using instead of impact. They're talking about excelling. Like, I don't know. Again, I don't know what that means. Each individual person's impact is going to be different based on the amount of time that you've been there, the amount of time that you've been able able to commit based on your other responsibilities. So again, a super, super random statement. And as far as my personal statement, I think that I have a strong personal statement, like my seed, I feel like it's strong enough, but I want to know how or where I would figure out like, the physician duties that would separate physician from like DO or like nurse practitioner or PA. Well, you can't separate out DO, right? Because DOs are physicians. So you you can't and shouldn't make a differentiation in a personal statement MD versus DO. Uh, and my personal take is that you shouldn't make an argument for MDDO versus PA versus NP versus anything else because at the end of the day, they're very, very similar positions, right? One of the biggest differences is scope of practice and knowledge base and skill set and your credentials, the, what you're privileged to do, the, the privileges at the hospital, right, are based on your training and, and your residency training and, and the skill set that you've gained over time. That's ultimately what separates physicians from PAs and NPs is you have more skill set, you you have a, a wider base of knowledge, and you're able to treat a wider breadth of patients. Right? And so 
I mean, to me, that's really the only thing. A lot of students will like to talk about being the boss. I'm like, well, you can be a boss as a PA. You can be a boss as an MP. You know, a lot of people like to talk about leadership. Again, leadership, you can be a leader as an MP, as a PA, whatever. So I don't think you need to make the argument in a personal statement. I think be prepared to talk about it for an interview, though. Okay. And then as far as DO schools, some people say like, if you don't get into MD, then apply to DO. How do you differentiate that now? Like if I say I want to go to MD and then like later in the cycle, I decide I want to apply DO. How would I explain to a DO school that that I want to apply DO if I've been like set on MD this full time? Yeah, I, I think DO schools understand that there will always be students who have that mindset. And I'm out here trying to change that mindset of like, if you want to be a doctor, you apply to MD and DO programs, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you want to live, you mentioned USF, right? So if you want to live in Tampa, you apply to USF. You also apply to uh, Lecom Bradenton. They have a DO school there. You apply to um, Nova Southeastern has a DO branch there, right? So you apply to the, those three schools, assuming that all of those schools kind of match your mission and and you believe you'll thrive there, not necessarily from an MD versus DO perspective, but from location, class size, curriculum, support, all of that good stuff. So I, I don't think students should be making the decision of, I only want to apply to MD and then I'll make a decision later if I don't feel like I'm going to get into MD programs, then I'll apply to DO. Again, I think a lot of DO programs assume that there are some percentage of students who do that and, and know that there are always going to be some percentage of students, unfortunately, who do do that. I think it's just up to you whether or not you apply now or later. Because I do have to make that decision or I don't want to limit myself because as far as like the Army ROTC thing, if I don't get in now and I do active duty, they're going to put me wherever they want me for active duty, yep. not like... And and once you're once you're active, asking to uh, get out of that career field so that you can go back to medical school is slim to none. Yes, it's very hard to get a sign off from your commander to like, oh, I want to go back to medical school, but have you finished your time commitment yet? No. Yeah. 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 So that's something I'm worried about. Yeah. Why Why not apply to both right off the bat? Also. What I have to, for the fee assistance program, since I am a dependent, would I be able to file like separately if I did not make the cutoff for as a dependent or would I have to wait until I turn like a certain age to apply by myself? For fee assistance, uh, specifically for AMCAS, I don't know ACOMAS's rules, but for AMCAS specifically, uh, if you are under 26, I believe it's under 26, not 26 and under. Uh, fact check me on that. But I believe if you're under 26, you have to report your parents' income, even if they don't support you at all. If you're 26 and over, again, fact check me. I, I forget if it's 26 and under or 26 and over. Um, but if you're over 26 or 26 and over, whatever that is, um, then you can apply for fee assistance without reporting your parents' income as part of your, your income level. Okay, because they've already denied me before. And I just want to see, only because I feel like it's great that you get 20 schools for free. Yep. 
but now I have to pay for it. So <laughs> you have to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> so if they've denied you, you can't like appeal and go, well, here, actually just use mine. That's, that's yeah. a pretty set rule that they have. Oh, wow. And then this is a question for just in general. So let's say that you have a very diverse like set of experiences, let's say for your activities, but there is not one clinical thing on there. Would that be like a red flag to medical school? Because I know clinical experience is important, but I do have some friends that are still going to apply even though they have zero patients here. <laughs> so if this is a question for friends like, why are we asking? This is this is your your time, your show. Uh, not having clinical experience is a a nuclear bomb for your application. Oh wow! I thought that you would be able to like overshadow it or things like that with like maybe volunteering or something like that. But what well, depends? Is the volunteering clinical experience or no? No. And going off of that, I have a certification. I'm a patient care tech, but I haven't been able to actually get a job as a patient care tech, but I volunteer like as a patient care tech. That's fine. So, okay. That doesn't matter. Yeah. Clinical experience doesn't matter if it's paid or volunteer, as long as you're interacting with patients. Because this leads into my next question. I'm doing an Army AMED internship this summer, but it's in July. So getting out of camp, should I wait to apply and put that on my activity section? Or should I just apply now with the clinical experience that I have? If you have clinical experience, I don't think you need to wait to apply. If you don't have clinical experience, then that's a whole separate discussion of whether or not you should apply, period. No, I do have clinical experience. Okay. Yeah, then I don't think you need to to wait to add that. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people would put it on the application anyway. Apply in June, have zero time for it, completed, and then under the anticipated dates, have it there with, with the anticipated hours that you're going to do it. But it's just training, right? You're mm-hmm. actually not going to be working it's just training. So to me, it's it's not impactful. I, I wouldn't worry about putting it on there. So, uh, but that is one potential is you put it on as, as anticipated hours and have zero completed hours. How would application committees view that as like your description? Because you haven't actually completed. Correct. It you're, you're not going to say much for it other than here's what I plan on doing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not going to be super impactful. And again, it's training. It's not actually doing the thing. So to me, it's it's not an impactful thing and I probably wouldn't put it on there. And as far as most meaningful experiences, I was speaking with my mentor the other day and she had told me that I should use every single one of my most meaningful. Do you think that's true or just for ones that I genuinely feel like were most meaningful or should I make it like, <laughs> so you, you get up, up to three, right? You have to have one, but you get up to three. So I, I don't think you should force three. I think it's very strange when people don't have three. But I think oh, wow. if, if, if you don't feel like you have three really impactful things that are really meaningful to you, 
it's mm-hmm. going to be very obvious when looking at your application and looking at that most meaningful essay that like this isn't really that meaningful. That's fair. Okay. That is something I have to work on. And as far as my this is my last question, as far as my disadvantage statement, so I did include a short, short, short two sentences about my grades. But people still say I shouldn't or maybe should not include it because I have above a 3.5. But I feel like when they look at my grades, they're going to go A's, 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 not A's. And then (laughs) it's going to be like, okay, so what happened? Yeah. So so just a caveat, right? The disadvantage statement is not called the disadvantage statement anymore. It's now called the other impactful experiences essay. And Mm -hmm. I think if you have had impactful experiences that potentially impacted your grades. I I don't think it's wrong that that essay is there to give context to your application. And so if you think there may be some questions about your transcript and you can give some context, go for it. So as far as a transcript, when they do screen people out for under a science GPA of 3.0 and like a regular GPA of 3.0 or is it just like cumulative GPA of 3.0 and then they screen you out? What school screens out under a 3.0? Every school, I thought. I You can't make that statement. Really? Yeah. I thought it was. There, there, it, there is no set rule like that. Are there schools that will screen out below a 3.0? Sure. Are there some schools that screen out below a 2.9 or a 2.8 or a 3.2 or a 3.4? Every school is different. Oh, wow. So is that on the actual like website? Because some schools no. that I visit... Most, most schools will not publicize that information. Because if they publicize it, then that is a rule typically that they have to follow. And let's mm-hmm. say the dean of the medical school has a kid who's applying to school and they say, we have a cutoff of 3.2 and the dean's kid has a 319. What are they going to do then? Yes. All right. So if you don't have rules, you can break them. (laughs) Or if you don't publicly have rules, then you can break them and not get in trouble. So, I mean, it it gets sketchy at times, but uh, you will be very hard pressed to find really strict publicized information some schools do some schools will have public cutoffs but but most schools do not oh wow that was like the biggest thing for my whole application because i was like i have a bunch of a's now but i did get my associates in high school so i took the college course in high school Mm -hmm. i was a pretty good student up until like my last couple of semesters so I don't want them to look at like my high school transcript and be like okay that was terrible but like I improved now so hopefully they see like the improvement yeah they will they they see if again if if you meet the cutoffs they will be able to see all of those numbers and all of those trends and they'll sort it and filter it and, and display it and graph it however that specific admissions committee does it you can't control that. The only thing you can control is doing well. So just focus on that. Thank you so much. That was my last question. That was probably the most important question. Well, good luck to you. What are you doing for MCAT prep? So I was doing 
blueprint and <laughs> and the Khan Academy and the Kaplan books. Okay, so blueprints and blueprint exams. Do you like them? Not like them? I do. I do like them. Pretty solid, right? Um, and so you have two weeks, you said, until your real test. Hopefully, you've transitioned now to the double AMC exams. Yes. And how do you feel compared blueprint exams to double AMC exams? I feel like the blueprint exams are a little bit harder, mm-hmm. but I feel like the double AMC exams get me more prepared for like the setting and the way the questions are asked specifically. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, good luck to you. Good luck on your MCAT. Good luck with your military training and getting the HPSP and all of that fun stuff. Thank you again. Thank you so much for joining me here on Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Did you know that we record these live on Facebook at 3 p.m. Eastern on most weekdays? Search for Medical School HQ on Facebook and like the page to be notified. Don't forget to check out our amazing Facebook group, The Hangout, at medicalschoolhq.net slash group. 